morning. Welcome to Walking Through the Word with Jesus, one chapter per day. My name is Michael Talercio. I'm the pastoral intern of Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, and it's day 386. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6 today. You'll have to forgive me. I'm a little bit uh, sick. My, my voice is a little nasally, so hopefully it won't be too bothersome for you. Uh, Fortunately, you're not here for my voice. You're here to hear the Lord's voice. And so we're going to do that as we look at his word. But let's let's ask for his help in prayer as we open. Father, you have kindly provided the scriptures uh, to reveal who you, who you yourself are, who your son is, who your Holy Spirit is to us, Lord. And in today's passage from Mark 6, we're looking at your son in particular. We ask that you would take our eyes off of us and put them on him. Help us to see who he is in comparison to those around him. And even when they don't understand who he is, may we thank you for this gift to make us good soil. Make us the kind of people who want to be in his presence, like the disciples who, even though we experience fear around him, it's a good kind of fear. It's a holy respect and reverence for Jesus, the King of all creation. We pray that that's what we would uh, experience today as we look at him from Mark chapter 6 in his name. Amen. All right. Beginning in verse 1. He, Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about. And he went about among the villages, teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, He is Elijah. And others said, He is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard, it, heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him put to death, wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, 
on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And when they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. 
this is a pretty huge chapter of scripture. And just about, uh, well, it's 56 verses long. And we said uh, in chapter one's devotional that Mark is a bit more bare bones than Matthew and Luke. Not always, uh, as is evidenced here, especially with this account in verses 14 to 29 of, of Herod and John the Baptist. This is the longest account of that occasion out of all of the Gospels. And I'm not exactly sure why that is, why Mark has details for us uh, like he provides here with Herod or why he provides certain other details throughout his Gospels. Now, there are some passages that are unique to Mark that we're going to come to that only Mark describes, only Mark details for us. And when we get there, we'll, we'll say a few things about how such passages help to shape the whole of the Gospel. But here, we're seeing a lot of uh, text, a lot of detail, and really just a clear point, which is that Jesus, as God's King, is misunderstood. He's not rightly understood to be God's King by many. Now, there are some that understand who he is. And we see that in today's passage. We see him sending out the 12 in verses 7 to 13. But prior to that, verses 1 through 6, we see people rejecting him. They ask questions like, who is this guy? We've known him his whole life because they grew up with him. Right? Jesus has returned to Nazareth in Galilee where he grew up. And the people there say, hey, we, we know who this guy is. We know his, his brothers and his sisters, his, his parents. We, why does he speak like this? Who does he think he is? And Jesus says that famous phrase in verse uh, for a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And it just shows that there's some truth to that phrase that familiarity breeds contempt, right? When we feel like we know somebody uh, better than they know themselves or better than we actually do know them, uh, we, we look down on them or we don't really, we're not ready to think that God could be at work in them. That's a caution for us, actually, because God works, as the hymn, famous hymn says, in mysterious ways. But really, the Spirit, as Jesus says in John chapter 3, the, the wind blows where it wishes. Uh, you, you feel its effects, but you do not see it. Uh, so it is with the Spirit of God. He's going to work in those in whom he's going to work. And even if you don't think he will, he will, if he so desires. And so, um, yeah, just a simple point of application Let's not think we know people better than uh, God knows what he's going to do in them. Um, clearly, with Jesus, God, Jesus being God, is doing more than the people in Nazareth expected him to. And so, as we said, verses 7 down to 13, Jesus sends out the twelve. Uh, he tells them to take nothing with them, essentially. And part of that is because he wants his apostles uh, to have, uh, to properly image him, um, he who came uh, without a place to lay his head. And he doesn't want his people uh, living extravagant lives when he himself has come to live a life of, of poverty in order to save people. Uh, Jesus didn't come in pomp and circumstance. He came in humble circumstances um, for the sake of 
saving his people. And he wants those who are bringing his message to not go into various people's houses and accumulate things for themselves and really live for themselves and for their own what they can gain, right? This is a this is a clear word that flies in the face of uh, many of the televangelists who have sought to preach good news, quote unquote, in order to get rich themselves. Jesus is very clearly giving instructions here that that shall not be the case for his ministers. Um, they shall be provided for, but not excessively so. Uh, as we said, verses 14 to 29 is a big chunk of text. It describes King Herod and how he interacts with John the Baptist. And so, um, you know, these details are showing us how the leadership of Israel is responding to Jesus and to those who have aligned themselves with Jesus, like John the Baptist. And what it shows is that the leaders of God's people, represented by Herod here, are compromised. You know, when Herod's reputation is on the line here at this party, after he was pleased with Herodias's daughter and her dance for him and his guests, uh, when he has made this promise and his reputation is on the line and she has returned to this request for John the Baptist's head, he would rather put to death this innocent man whom he himself respects, as we see in verses 20 and 26. He would rather do that than suffer the loss of what he thinks is the respect of his guests and friends. Reminds me of that quote from John Calvin, if you fear a man, he will laugh at you. But if you fear God, you will be revered also among men. If only Herod knew that. And so what we see in this big passage here, 14 to 29, is that Herod is not the king that Israel needs. Jesus is. What Jesus brings threatens complacent lives, like, like Herod's. If we were to go back to chapter 5, we might recall that uh, what Jesus brought into Gennesaret uh, threatened the lives of those who lived there and were the, the pig farmers. Jesus is the king. He is the true king in place of Herod. Uh, but what he brings demands allegiance, and it's ultimately for the good of his citizens, of his subjects, but it does demand change. And we, we see that in how the, how the leadership, how Herod and others are responding to God's people uh, under Jesus' lead, God's people in this case being John the, John the Baptist. Um, those who have aligned themselves with Jesus Christ, the true king, are a threat to false uh, kings uh, like Herod. And that's, that's true for us too. As we align ourselves with Jesus, as we claim him for our own, uh, for our own authority, uh, that's, going to, that's going to be threatening to people. Now, to be sure, the scriptures counsel us to submit to the governments in as much as they exist to promote good order and to punish the evil, to... To honor God, we submit to the authorities in as much as they are uh, not contradicting God's word or calling us to disobey God. But uh, we are we're doing that because we are submitting to the true king, Jesus. And as we do, we can be sure that that may bring uh, some disagreement and even some, some fury from people that claim to be king themselves, like Herod.
But one thing we can take stock in, we can hope in, is that Jesus is a king who will not do what Herod did in today's chapter. He will not throw people under the bus. In fact, everyone deserves to be thrown under the bus. And yet, for some, he will refuse to allow that to happen. He will actually go under the bus himself in their place. (sighs) Let's go to God in thanksgiving and prayer right now and thank him for Jesus. Father, thank you that you have given us Jesus. Thank you that Jesus came not to merely deal with physical ailments. He came not merely uh, to uh, feed people bread that doesn't last, uh, but he came to do what no one else could do. He came to save people for himself. And in that salvation, he is giving us a clearer understanding of who he is, of who you are, O Father, for sending him, of who your Holy Spirit is for sealing us in Jesus and helping us to understand who he is in the scriptures. We pray that we would continue to live in alignment with Jesus' kingship, with his lordship. We pray this for his glory, and throughout today, may we be people uh, that are pleased to live in fear of Jesus, and inasmuch as you provide it, to be respected by people because of that, not to live in order to gain people's respect and so throw you under the bus. Forgive us for that. Help us to live rightly under Jesus' lordship today. In his name we pray, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the king who has come to save people like us. Let that soften our hearts. Let it also confirm and strengthen our hearts as we live for his glory in the face of a world hostile to him. Let's go out in confidence in him today and in humility. God bless you. Mm -hmm.